I was uh, remiss. I misspoke, using the words of Richard M. Nixon, uh, in announcing that uh, we were going to we're going to we're going to be in uh, at a barbecue in the next hour. I was wrong, but we are going to have something even meatier than a barbecue. Uh, we're going to have a uh, uh, Professor Fekete and is Ant is uh, Sandeep going to be part of this? Uh, this to finish off the to off. finish off, yes. Okay, <laughs> all right. And so um, uh, I'd like to. Uh, we're heading into the uh, end of uh, our uh, seminar the, uh, here, and um, it's been very, very good. And so. Um, Without further ado, this is the professor. I'll turn it over to the professor and Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I thought that uh, we should continue the dialogue format we started yesterday. So uh, I'm going to ask questions of Sandy, and then he will in turn ask questions of me. And we try to clarify this idea which is printed in the program, the gold basis, not the price, is the guiding star for gold miners, investors, traders, and historians. Now, uh, before I ask my first question of Sandy, I would like to refer to this chart. This was the last slide which uh, Brown showed us uh, the day before yesterday his very excellent talk. So actually I would like to invite uh, Brown to repeat the answer. I went to him after his talk and referred to the title of his talk, which was a question. Why do COMEX warehouse gold holdings expand? And this refers to this part of the curve. You see, we have an all-time high, in fact, almost double the previous all-time high in the gold warehouse stock. So this seems to fly in the face of the coming permanent backwardation in gold, because all this well, we know it's not all available for delivery, but it certainly gives a, a, a foundation for a hefty, a healthy contango. So, could you, uh, Brown, repeat the answer to your own question in one sentence? Why do Comex Warehouse Gold Holdings expand? Because they still do. One sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's because investor interest is increasing. Really, it shows ultimate investor, in, in, investor interest in precious metals increasing. Because it's still SIS, not SOS. Still in the system. Thank you. Anybody wants to comment on this? I think this is a good answer. Now, Sandy. Would you see a contradiction between this? This is a fact. We can't argue with that. Uh, what about its relevance to the falling basis and the 
prospect of a permanent backwardation in gold? I think uh, the point that uh, Bron made, yes, when, whenever Bron made his, his talk on this, was the difference between registered and eligible. Now, the point is that if you actually look at the total registered stock, it has been falling since, I think it was two, 2006. 2006. Now, the registered stock is actually what is there to claim against futures outstanding. One shouldn't look, per se, at the total stock, but the ratio of eligible to, uh, eligible to um, non-eligible or registered. Um, there's always a potential that what is eligible could become registered, but could is a very strange word. Um, and there's no sign of that yet. So I think registered stocks is just as important as total stocks in the scheme of things. And if we look at that chart, I don't know whether we've got that. Whether no, we've got that. It would be in a, it would be, you know, it would be in a downtrend from here. So total stocks versus registered stocks, there'd be a divergence. So that would be my first comment, that you have to look at registered stocks more so than the total stocks at the exchange. Thank you. Is it too much trouble to put up your chart with the, the carry base. and the decarry, which shows that Contango yep. has re-established yep. itself? Yep. Let's. <coughs> mm. And in the meantime, I would take your question, you, your turn to ask questions. Um, Professor, you said in a piece that you would be expecting backwardation, permanent backwardation in silver to be a precursor to an inflationary scenario in the yes. markets. Yes. Now, we actually have had backwardation in silver for a lot longer than we've had it in gold. gold. So how does that join together with your deflationary view of the markets over the next mm. couple of years? Mm. Well, I uh, should start by saying that it was more of a hunch than a scientific statement. I have a feeling that uh, silver is uh, going to backwardation before gold does, partly because of the industrial uses of silver and partly because silver has a lot of catching up to do in terms of gold appreciation. Silver is way behind, especially if you take the all-time high of silver price, which was in the order of between 45 and 50 dollars, and it's still in the, between 17 and 18, whereas gold has passed way beyond its previous high. So uh, that's, uh, I'm not taking back that. Mm -hmm. It's a, still a hunch, and, but I stand to be corrected by events, and also if you have a better idea, I, I would certainly uh, listen very carefully to your arguments. But let me comment on another question. Why do I attribute such an importance to 
the peripheral backwardation of either gold or silver. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that I, I do not subscribe to the quantity theory of money, and therefore I am not unduly disturbed by the tremendous increase in paper money or the effort. It hasn't succeeded yet because the mon the, what happened was that they beefed up the bank reserves in, in the United States. But the banks haven't yet put this, uh, these reserves to work, so they are just sitting there. Of course, if the bank started lending again, this would change and could change very quickly. However, the banks are in no hurry because they can still buy uh, U.S. Treasury paper with an interest coupon between 3 and 4 percent and this is to their thinking is the safest possible investment they can make. So why do they, why should they go out and lend to companies and so on when they can sit on their reserves and still earn a hefty profit? No risk involved to their way of thinking. So this spells a deflationary scenario to my mind, much more so than a, a hyperinflationary scenario. So a hyperinflationary scenario would show up in a progressive advance of the gold price. To from 1,000 to 2,000, from 2 to 5,000, then to 10,000, 25,000, and so on. This would be the scenario under a hyperinflationary uh, situation. I don't see this happening. What I see is that there will be a very abrupt uh, break in the market when the permanent backwardation uh, is actually realized. In other words, there will be no stepwise increase in the gold price, but gold will just disappear from one day to the next as a trade against paper money. So this is what uh, I think Nathan uh, quoted me, I call the, uh, the sudden death syndrome. The dollar will not go through an agony, a very protracted agony, remembering Germany in 1923, this agony lasted for over a, a year. I don't think this is in store for the dollar. What is in store is that there will be complete disruption in the gold trade, starting with the COMEX. Uh, it doesn't mean that gold will not be available, but it will not be available as against paper money payments. First the dollar will be rejected and then uh, the yen and the euro and even the Swiss franc. Uh, those who hold gold will not trade it against paper, but they may trade it against energy futures or agricultural commodities. Uh, so gold will stay in the system, but paper money will be cut out. And that doesn't mean that prices will go sky high. Some may do that. In fact, energy prices may continue rising, food prices may continue rising, but there will be 
and I'm not saying they will. They may be, uh, because it is possible that uh, the deflation goes deep enough so there will be uh, systematic price uh, reductions in food prices and in energy prices. But I would not be surprised if the market would bet that energy is in short supply will be and they bid up uh, prices. There will be great volatility, there's no question about it. In all commodity markets there will be tremendous volatility and I mean it in the sense that unprecedented, we have seen very great volatility in various commodity markets but you haven't seen anything yet what is coming in comparison with what is coming. So you've got to be prepared for that. But it's not the price increase, it's the vol increase in volatility which I see. So, uh, going back to the original question, I think gold and also silver will be the exception. They will not be traded in commodity markets because of drying up of the offers to sell. And, uh, that means permanent backwardation. I will not make any prediction on timing. Yeah, this is, we are working on that, right? And we are committed to keep you informed at least once a year in Canberra. So you have to come back next year if you want to. Because you see, I think we want to be responsible about that. So if we develop a theory, we want to double check it and check it for the three times before we go out and publicize it. But certainly if you keep in touch with the Gold Standard Institute, you are very well placed to be a beneficiary of this research. <coughs> and uh, that's what I would say about the question of uh, the coming permanent backwardation, whether it's gold or silver. I think, I think it will be silver. Uh, I stand to be corrected if uh, it plays out in a different way, but uh, that's my present reading of the situation. Hyperinflation, I would put my uh, lot against it. I don't see it coming. I see more deflation more erosion of capital, more falling interest rates, and more weakness. Oh, currency markets will be, I see very great upheavals in, in the currency, uh, in the foreign exchange markets. Again, there, there have been tremendous volatility in those markets in earlier times, but that's nothing in comparison what is coming. And it hasn't happened yet. Oh, another, finally, another indicator you, might, you may want to watch is the derivative tower. The derivative tower has been estimated between uh, $600 trillion strong to $1 quadrillion strong. I'm inclined to take the higher figure, or closer to the higher figure. And um, uh, they say it slowed down or even contracted. I don't see that. I don't see. Of course, the hard facts and figures are not available. But when it starts unraveling, 
it will be very quick and it could be connected with the permanent backwardation uh, because the collapse of the depth of the derivative tower will also mean a tremendous uh, wiping out of, uh, of that through default and uh, so you know that that is over a world that is overextended it will have to collapse and it could collapse through hyperinflation or it could collapse through deflation which means defaults again I am casting my lot with the deflationary scenario uh, if there is going to be hyperinflation I feel it will come later but first there will be a deflationary blowout in the form of the collapse of the uh, derivative star so that is the answer okay now <coughs> all right what you see here in that blue box is the uh, the uh, coming back of contango and this is a normal situation so my question to Sandeep is that uh, how do you account for that in terms of in terms of the monetary crisis. I mean, you would expect the monetary crisis would uh, mitigate against this happening, but uh, Contango suggests it's, it's basically a healthy sign for the, as far as the gold market. So the gold market makes the appearance of a healthy market. But we know it's on a 24-hour basis, so can you comment on this? I think that um you know, you, it's, it's, it's very hard, we have to say to ourselves, how would it be possible to manipulate the market so that you can maintain a positive carry um, and a negative co-basis? Um, now, the only way that that can happen is if there is a general reduction in the bid in the gold market, as in gold that was being earmarked for somewhere is no longer going there. And that may play into the discussions that I was having about India for my first lecture. That could be one angle, seeing as we know how big. Sorry? So does that mean lower demand? When the bid goes down, is lower demand? From there, yes. But the point is, though, that it doesn't mean that no one else is bidding at the same price that the Indians were. They're just not bidding in the same volume. So the bid might be there at 1065 or whatever for gold. But in terms of the depth of the bid, no one matches. No one matches India. We're all here bidding. You know, we're bidding, but we can't match India in terms of that perspective. So that could be one angle. The other angle is, as I commented yesterday, you need to be able, and Nathan mentioned today, you need to be able to sell spot gold ultimately into the market. Now, if you think about what the carry is, you want to keep it like that. Now, you can keep that fixed and try and bring that up by securitizing gold futures, by, sorry, by monetizing gold futures for as long as you need. There's no limit to that. But that gives no guarantee 
that this end will stay down. So you need to be able to make sure ultimately that you can do both and keep it like that. Now that's not a scenario that can be done into perpetuity, you know, because they'll run out of gold. Um, so the longer that one sees this there, the more one, the more that one can discount that manipulation because it's not something that can be done indefinitely. So I think it's a con. Sorry. It can be done for long enough. It can be done for long enough. Yeah, we've only seen what how many months there? Three months. Or End of August. Yeah. So three months of it. So yeah. I, I think it's something to watch because you know if we see it for two years, then perhaps you know. I think if we saw it for two years, the gold price would have fallen before. Yeah, that's right. You know, before. But I, I personally don't think we'll see it. Yeah. Well, that's what we have to watch out for. You know. I don't know what is short and long, you know, I don't know what their, their reserves are in order to manipulate it like that, but I honestly think that that's actually a small, it's a small part of, to keep the market in, you know, the near-term gold futures contract turns $13 billion per day, you know, it's not, you know, and that's more than 10 times what the gold ETF turns per day. Now, in order to just monetarily in order to, to, to maintain that situation, it's a very tall order. Very, very tall order. So I think it's more likely to do with the fact that, that there's a reduction in the bid, resulting in warehouses becoming fuller. Now, gold warehousing is the easiest form of warehousing, you know. Natural gas warehousing is the most difficult form of warehousing, you know. So that's where I stand. I think it's more, it's, it's not manipulation, it's more likely not manipulation, just for the sheer numbers involved. Okay, okay. You, sorry. Getting back to your point there, <coughs> the tango being in all situations, would a continuously rising, a sharply continuously rising gold price mm simultaneously reduce the bid, increase investor demand, thus filling up the warehouses, and make the carry more attractive, thus causing that situation? Well, there can't be a reduction in the bid if there's investor demand increasing at the no, same time. The price, the price. Right. Uh, that could be, that could be the case, but I think that it's, it's, it's a case of one leading the other. It's, 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 you know, the contango returning is a function of the price going up, you know, not the other way around. Um, so I think it's, it, it could be, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, are you therefore then seeing declining volume in that last three month period? Volume in what? Uh, Sales, uh, volume of bids and asks. Like, your theory is that yeah. the Indians may be disappearing, therefore, yeah. volume may be declining as the price goes up. Well, there's no way to, to, to check the depth of the bid and the ask. Philip told me that uh, Indian ex import data was it released yesterday, Philip? Yeah. It was at, what was it, 20, 25 tonnes. For, for October, yeah, you know, and traditionally now is the time when people buy gold in India. It's towards, it's coming into the end of the year. Now, 
all right, the gold price is still going up at the moment, but you know, it's um, it should be going up a hell of a lot more than it is, you know, especially at this time of year. Um, I think what we'd like to do is continue the dialogue with uh, you and the professor. These are all relevant questions. They are They're very relevant questions. They're very good, but uh, and there will be time for questions after this. But that's, this, we're breaking, so let's continue the line that you guys are, are continuing. Then we'll open up for questions in the forum. My my question. Um, I think my main my main. Uh, worry, Professor, is that when you consider the derivatives tower at 600 trillion, one quadrillion, whatever, um, that no other, no other currency has the same situation where they've got all of these contracts priced in, in their own currency. The US dollar is unique in that respect. So do you think that it's a... Uh, it's a, it, it was a mechanism in order to sort of create a huge, dark, unseen planet that creates dollar capital flow, which is beyond the measurement of anyone who's looking at regular balance of payments, etc., etc., that keeps the dollar in its, in its prime position and could, strangely enough, mean that the dollar will not be the first to collapse because palm oil futures in, in Southeast Asia have no direct relationship with US domestic or, well, no, no direct relationship with the US currency. There's no need to price it in the US currency, yes, it, yet it still is. Are you asking whether this development is spontaneous or it's engineered? I'm asking you whether you think it's spontaneous or engineered. I think that the derivative Tower and its tremendous exponential increase or explosion, if you will, is completely spontaneous. Nobody engineered it, and it, it and all the experts are helpless. They have no clue what's going on. I have offered an explanation for that. I don't know how many of you recall that I just talked about <coughs> layers of insurance. So the first, <coughs> first thing needs to be insured is the bond values, including the values of the uh, US Treasury issues. And as you know, there's a future market in those, and there is volatility. So there are people uh, questioning the uh, stability of this market and they are offered a first round insurance in terms of options on bond futures. So that's the first layer of insurance. And soon after they put on that layer, they realize that this layer itself needs to be insured because it's just as unstable as the first one. So then they came out with uh, various uh, uh, swaps and insurance schemes, uh, but every time they put on a new layer of insurance, they found out that this is not going to be end of it because they have to, so it keeps increasing. Now, the point is that you cannot collapse this tower by cost uh, 
by uh, what's the word when you cross out positions, uh, long position offset. Offset. You yeah. cannot offset this because these are independently unstable of one another. So this just keeps growing, and that is my own explanation why this keeps growing. Right. And on the top of that, there is of course the volume of the bottom layer which is increasing in itself. That's the, the US government is issuing more and more debt. So that's one thing, but the other thing is that there is no way. Now, you might ask, how come that in the agricultural futures, commodity markets, the one layer does the trick? And the answer to that question is that in the agricultural futures, you are making bets against nature. So you are not any better off than I am. We just make bets if we are speculating in agricultural futures. But ultimately, it's nature which is going to settle the issue. Who is the winner, the long guy or, or the short guy? Because one will win, the other will lose. Now, that's not the same in the financial futures, because in the financial futures, you are not taking bets, making bets against nature. You are making bets against the intelligence or stupidity. Uh, forgive me for uh, the hurting the feelings of these honorable gentlemen running the central banks of various countries. But the fact is that you as a speculator in financial futures, bonds, bills, etc., even gold futures, you are betting against the intelligence of the central bankers. And I would, as I already suggested in an earlier talk, I think the, <laughs> the uh, nature of the thing is that you will ultimately win. But the point is this, it's not a zero-sum game. Only in the agricultural futures you have a zero-sum game when uh, the shorts and the longs will, uh, of course, uh, if you add up all the winnings, it will come to zero because one wins, the other loses. But that's not the same in the future. It's not a zero-sum game, and that's very important to realize. So uh, because of this, there is no derivative tower ensuring agricultural future contracts. But there is one in the financial futures. So uh, this is tentative. You can, it, I'm open to criticism. I, I, you know, I may be wrong, but I've studied this for a long, long time and came to the conclusion that there's a qualitative difference between agricultural futures contracts and financial futures contracts. Of course, conventional economics denies this. They say, well, in both cases, it's, uh, uh, you put your money where your mouth is and so on. But they, <laughs> they assume that such things as inflation, uh, uh, the volatility of interest rates, volatility of foreign exchanges, are made by nature. And that's a dirty lie. It's not true. They are made by governments, which means made by men. 
So when you are betting in a commodity market, in a, for, in a future exchange market, you are betting on financial futures, you are not betting against nature, you are betting against man. And that makes a difference. And that is the reason uh, of the uh, genesis of the uh, derivative tower. I think I'll stop here because there might be some uh, comments from the floor too. Are you, are you suggesting that man constantly tries to cover up his tracks and hence why the derivatives are constantly gross? That's part of it. That's part of it. Not the whole, but. All right. Now, uh, I would like to ask you to put on your previous, the last slide of your talk. Could you? Is it a problem to put it on uh, the projector? The one which was on before. The last slide. Yeah. Is it my turn to ask? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, I would like to come and uh, no, no, my question I have asked this question yesterday of a number of people present here, but I haven't asked Sandy. Now the people who I asked could not would not commit themselves. To me. But I think Sandy has the guts and he may be so this is the question. You see this increase in COMEX warehouse holdings of gold. And this is over a nine-year nine year period, eight, nine-year period. It's contemporary with, with the bull market in, in gold. In fact, it's a reflection of the underlying bull market. The question is, do you see how the basis behaved during that same period? Was it falling, was it stationary, or perhaps it was rising? Um, I don't have the data, um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but um, what we did have, and I don't have the chart with me, was the, the intra the intraspread, the intraspread uh -huh. uh, difference. Yeah. Which means two different future yeah. delivery contracts. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was actually um, I think that was actually rising as 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 that was uh, <coughs> or it wasn't falling per se when that the, was the spread between two uh, uh, consecutive <laughs> delivery months yes. was Shrinking. Um, it it wasn't it wasn't increasing. It I wasn't increasing. Yes, yes. Whether it was shrinking, I'll have to check. I okay. can I can I can try and get hold of the. I think this would be an important yeah. piece of information. Unfortunately, uh, I was this at would university. Be well, it would uh, it would confirm my conjecture that the basis is still falling. In other words, the bull market in gold hasn't changed the underlying trend, which is, goes back to 30 years or longer, which is the basis has been shrinking. It started out with a 
maximum contango, which was the carrying uh, charge, gives you the, and that's basically the interest. Now, what I have conjectured is that in 1971, when gold futures market trading, gold futures market started, the maximum was the full carrying charge and then it started its slow fall, the basis, the basis. And by now it reached practically zero, or in any case close to zero. And uh, if we could confirm that even when the warehouse stocks in COMEX have shown a, a hefty, healthy increase, the underlying basis hasn't changed direction. I'm, I'm looking for an answer myself and I hope you can find this answer and then of course we'll bring it to, the, uh, uh, to your attention. That's, I think it's a very important missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Okay, now my question, please. <laughs> um, Professor, what would make you uh, change your mind about what would be the first clue uh, that you'd look for to change your mind that we might be going from deflationary to hyperinflationary scenario, apart from the gold price going up? Because this always assumes that there is a bid in the bond market, yeah, yeah. what if the bid in the bond market starts to disappear? And the only reason I say that is because when the US first said that they were about to monetize the debt, um, when we were in um, San Mateo, I think, um, mm -hmm. Treasury yields are still a lot higher. They, they initially fell, yeah. but now we're at well, a much higher right. level. That's right. So what would, give, what would make you change your mind that we might be going past the deflationary inflection point and into the next well one particular cycle. scenario is a sure bet if if war breaks out if if israel attacks iran and the us is backing up israel i think this would easily turn the deflation into hyperinflation in fact i I would be even more emphatic. I think uh, it's a foregone conclusion if this happens. Now, I don't know, Daryl, you are there. Have you seen the story in the Newswire that there was a, an air attack on Syria by Israel? They devastated a, an industrial complex which yeah. nobody knows what it was. But they did, and then they put pressure on Syria, so the whole news story was hushed up. And, but it, it, I mean, normally, a, a story like that, if it was released, I think would, would puncture the, the bond market. But it didn't happen. And, uh, well, it, it was so hard to tell. Uh, I, mean, I, I saw the, the report. I mean, I saw the, the, the speculation that it happened. And then, as you said, nothing happened. And it was not confirmed. Just, and not confirmed. But I have seen yeah. pictures in this, Der Spiegel, this is the German weekly, 
and there were aerial photos showing the devastation. So actually, there is more than uh, rumors to this story. When, when did it happen? Last year? This year? This year. This year. Earlier this year, there was an aerial attack. Israeli fighter planes uh, yeah. uh, devastated this complex. And Syria didn't say ouch. Which is very, very strange, <laughs> to say the least. Now, anything like that, if it's confirmed, I think could could uh, work towards a hyperinflation scenario. Also, although I'm not that certain about this, if the derivative tower collapsed, as we discussed earlier, is a possibility. This might also trigger a hyperinflation, but I, I am not uh, that sure about that. It could. So in other words, I would take the bets off the table if this happened. But it doesn't mean that I would put my bet on the hyperinflationary scenario. I'm, I'm very, very hesitant to prognosticate a hyperinflation scenario for the following reason, because as long as the, the world economy is physically intact, in other words, no war damage or no exhaustion of uh, backup and no interruption in the sea lanes or air uh, freight, uh, the, any big increase in prices will bring out uh, some increase in production. But of course, if war comes, then immediately the sea lanes will be uh, closed and the air uh, transport will be uh, uh, no longer safe. And, uh, and insurance premiums on insuring cargo, international cargo will shoot up and that that could create, and of course, in addition, there will be a devastation through aerial bombardment or sabotage or what other, you know, during a wartime situation, or even a, a, it doesn't have to be a world war, it could be a local war, but expanding, that would result, could result in an, but without this, I just don't see, because higher prices will bring out uh, more production. And uh, but we, we can't say very much more about that at the moment. If, if the derivative tower was created spontaneously and the experts have no idea no what idea. to do about it, who or what will determine when it collapses? <coughs> The solvency of the underlying banks, I imagine, which is pretty much guaranteed at the moment. So, you know, it's it's going to last a lot longer. It's a wild card. It's, it's a wild card. Wild, wild it's card. chaos theory. Mm. Wild card. Mm. Uh, no. Like you've alluded to, the uh, sovereign nations attacking in a, in a way that actually gets traction and mm. gets through the haze of people's mm. daily, yeah, well, they're just doing that over there. I think it's important to mention that in that derivatives tower, it's not fully paid up 
you know, it's not there's not six hundred trillion dollars fully paid up. It's well, only the, the 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 <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you know you, you, you should ignore it. You know, that, that's even more worrying that it's only 0.5 percent paid up. You know, so any minor move in that could cause the solvency of the whole financial system to go under. Now, what's the likelihood of them allowing that to happen? It's zero. Absolutely, you know, it's zero. We know it's zero. You know, 50 billion pounds to uh, Royal Bank of Scotland and... Anything to ensure it doesn't happen. Yes. Yeah. With any resources. Exactly. Now, why I think that uh, such a collapse would not necessarily trigger hyperinflation is because it it could be swept under the rug. In other words, the U.S. government uh, could say, okay, we bail out selectively certain... Well, that's what they did in the previous scenario. I mean, they let Lehman go under, but they bailed out uh, uh, Everyone else. <laughs> so, so Let Lehman go under for some reason. They, they could continue this because they say, oh, we succeeded in this instance, so a much bigger, it's a much bigger event. But they would say, all right, we'll pay off the debt of this and that, but the rest can go to hell. And the rest will go to hell, but the impression left on the, uh, public, in the public opinion is that this was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Geithner and uh, ben Bernanke and so on again teamed up and they found a solution so uh, the merry-go-round could go again. And this is possible uh, if people swallow that. And, uh, but it's, it's impossible to make any firm prediction. Is it my turn? Your turn. Okay. <laughs> and let me start with uh, with stating uh, an explanation. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to comment on this reversal here. Uh, it's about the same time that Merrick made the announcement earlier this year that they are going to close their hedge books. Okay? Well, it takes a little time, so please sit down <laughs> because <laughs> I, I state my own position and I will invite you to, to criticize it. So Merrick is going to close its hedge book and it means they have to buy, go to the open market and purchase the uh, uh, how many million ounces? 5.9? Yes. Six, yes the, the round figure, 6 million ounces. That's, that's a lot of gold. Mm -hmm. you know? And they set themselves a time frame. They want to do it within 12, 12 months. Period, 12, because they write it off. They already written off a quarter of that and they are going to do this quarterly. And actually I saw a, an item in the Newswire that they have already bought one million ounces of gold tour for that purpose, to, uh, to settle their uh, hedge, hedge commitments. I wasn't 
ready to accept this, that they could just buy one million ounces and the market won't even notice it, because I, I don't think uh, it would have caused a little more uh, turmoil in the gold market. Now, however, however, the bullion banks, of course, gird up for this, because it's a big, big chunk of business they can do. So they are buying the gold which they will want to feed to Barrick, and that's one thing. And they buy more gold which they want to feed to China, especially now that India has preempted Chinese purchases of IMF gold, uh, China might want to answer this and will go to the open market. So the bullion banks see a possibility of making uh, uh, big profits on, on that predictable increase in demand for physical gold, because we are, that's what we are talking about. Paper gold is no good for either purposes. It's no good for the for Barrick and it's no good for uh, China. They want cash gold. So whatever we see here about the build-up of Comex Warehouse uh, gold or the return of Contango uh, making the healthy making the gold market uh, look healthy is explained to my mind by the fact that there is a predictable demand for physical gold which the bullion banks are going to satisfy because that's their bread and butter. Now, the question is, would this be a reasonable explanation of the return of the healthy contango and also for the increase in warehouse stocks and also that very, very significant uh, low number here. There are only about four or five orders for every ounce of gold in the Comex warehouses. By the way, I would like to recommend this to everybody who is here. This is an extremely important chart. I was not aware of this, and now I became a full convert, uh, and I would mention this is a possible proxy for the uh, basis, holding base. That number, five people per ounce of Comex gold, is on a 24-hour basis. I am I'm not going to be surprised if it could multiply tenfold, so to speak, overnight. Because look at these spikes both ways, in both directions. So this is significant. And uh, you've got to watch it, because this, the, the, if surprise comes from some corner, this is certainly a possibility. So going back to my question, am I on firm grounds to assume that the bullion banks now, which were basically short, now are basically long or going to be because they have this very lucrative business coming their way. Yeah. Um, I actually met Barrick for lunch 
Oh. And my boss met Barrett for breakfast. Um, <laughs> we conferred afterwards. And uh, the guy looked like he w- he'd never been to a gold mine in his life. I can't remember his name. Uh, but um, I s- uh, he told me, or us, that uh, they'd already purchased half of what they were going to purchase by the time we were having that lunch. Um, and I said to someone sitting next to me, I said, it'd be dreadfully bad business practice if you hadn't actually bought the gold and you're announcing to the market that you're going to buy gold, you know. It's just not very good business sense. Um, so, so that would be my first point, Professor. They said they already, they'd already bought back, when they did the equity issuance, the equity raising, they'd said that, that the gold, half of their hedge book had already been covered by that, by that moment. So they in, in physical. In physical. In physical. In I, I don't know. When was this? Uh, this was. When did I meet them? This was just when they were having their equity raising. So a few when months ago. This? A few months ago. Whenever it was. I can't remember the exact date. Whenever they announced it. So that would be one. Do you believe that? Well, if I were them, I would. Yeah, I would rather have bought my gold back and then said, say to the market, I'm going to be buying gold. You well, know. How can they buy that much gold without uh, other people noticing it? Um, I think that the amount of physical gold that turns through London is actually a lot larger. You know, so yeah, it, it could be. It could, it could, it could be easily done. Mm-hmm. So the question: uh, What about the other half? Well. You know, the bullion banks, all right, if they're anticipating that Barrick will be, will be buying the gold, they can't, they can't buy gold um, and keep a naked position. You know, they can't buy spot gold without hedging it, basically, until Barrick comes to buy it um, off of their books. So the action of the bullion banks would cause it to go into, towards backwardation, mm-hmm. it wouldn't cause it, in my view, it wouldn't cause it to go towards contango, because they no, can't... That's what's happening. And that's, that's what's happening, you know, so um, I, I think that, um, I don't think that uh, the bullion banks are doing that, unless they are taking naked positions in gold and waiting for Barrick to come knocking on the door and say... You know, the day is coming when mm. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, yeah. But, but that, that would be my, my comment. Now, if I were being a truly smart Barrick chief executive, I probably would say that I bought nine-tenths of the gold. I would have bought mm. nine-tenths of the gold, say that I've still got 50% left to buy. Um, and if there's some collusion between Barrick and the US government, um, you know, it's all the better for them to, to manipulate the gold price with, because there's all of us thinking that they're out there going to buy 50% of their hedge book back when they've actually bought 90% of it back already, you know. Um, so they are false carding. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that they, they have, but you know, or are. If they were smart. If they were smart, you know. They haven't been so far. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> they were up until 1998. <laughs> smart, inverted commas, you know. But in my view, you know, Barrick is going to be the, uh, the U.S the United States source of gold ultimately, because if they can't meet the obligations, then effectively the US government can seize all of their gold mines and they'll have, you know, um, whatever it is, eight million ounces per year, seven million ounces per year, 
um, straight straight to the treasury. Philip, um, when we look at the number of owners per ounce yeah. in that chart, of course, it looks quite radical the way the time frame has compressed everything, and yeah. so it looks like there's a big, huge spike there. But in actual fact, when you look up to the open interest at that same period of time, it doesn't look as if there's any <laughs> significant uh, significant change there. Even if that you need to look at this logarithmically rather than linearly, um, because it goes from it goes from ten to uh, fifty. You know. Um, it was yeah, more significant. It could also be the very low coming stocks number yeah. itself that's magnifying any small changes in, in the open interest. Mm -hmm. The base is, is very low. What I find strange though is that the number of claims per ounce of gold was its highest in '98 when the gold market bottomed, um, which isn't something that I would expect. I'd expect it to be the other way around, really. Um, so I've still got to get my head around this. But we have got good news, Professor. We've got the chart that I was saying, Bronze got it on his email for the intra-spread carry. Uh -huh. So it proves the point that you were, you were saying that the basis was actually falling from 2006 for the intra-spread carry. Uh -huh. It was actually falling. So we've got it confirmed. Bronze just putting it on the, uh, there we go. So it's the sold line, I think. You yes. It's the solid line here. So you can see that it's, it's doing that. It's doing what you thought it would. Yes. QED. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. So, no more questions. No more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was QED? Well, to prove to what, what, what does it mean? Quadrat demonstrandum. That was to be proved. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, just one, one word and we are finished. Ah, the title of this period was supposed to be the gold basis and not the price. But I, I haven't wavered. I still think that the gold basis is far more important than the gold price. Not just because the, from the point of view of manipulations, it's more difficult, but also because this is the indicator how much the thinking of people are changing. Because I think more and more people will start switching from paper unit of value to gold unit of value. And that is shown by the basis. To my mind, that's the important. So I, I'm standing, I'm committed still to the idea of the basis or any proxy which may be reasonable. Thank you very much.